For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. Let's pray. Father, thank you for delivering us and giving us righteousness. And without you, we could not have that. Thank you for blessing us in Jesus' name. Amen. So the background story, which Brianna did so wonderfully, I'm going to give you another brief synopsis. In Genesis chapter 12, God came to Abraham. He's, well, his name was Abram. He said, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to bless you and make you into a great nation. All the nations will be blessed through you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. He's on his side. Then he said, I want you to go to the land of Canaan. Now, he had to pick up all his belongings, all of his household, and move to a land that was not his own, away from his own family. And who of you would do that if God called you to move away from all your family? That's kind of a tough deal. Yeah, I guess if you don't like your family, you'd say, cool, I'm out of here. But he had faith, and he went. When he got to the land... He lived in it for a while, then he went down to Egypt and he came back and uh, his cousin or his nephew Lot, he said, how about you choose your land and whichever land you choose, you can have it and I'll choose the other. So land went one way, Abram went another way. And even though God had promised him a child, there was still no child. So I don't know if he forgot about it. I don't know if he wondered every single day, when is this going to happen? But God appeared to him again. And he said, look at the dust of the land. And if you can count the dust, then you'll be able to count your children. And then time went on again. God appeared to him again. And he said, well, I don't have a son. And God said, look at the stars. Here's a picture of that. And he looked at the stars. He said, if you can count the stars, then you could be able to count your children. And he believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. He had faith. 
Then Abram took kind of matters into his own hands and said, well, if I can't have a son with Sarah, I'm going to have my maidservant, Hagar, bear me a son. And she bore him a son named Ishmael. That's chapter 16. And in chapter 17, God appears to him again. He says, I'm going to give you a new name. No longer are you going to be called father of many. You're going to be called father of many nations. Great, how embarrassing is that? Maybe he thought. And then he said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. The covenant is circumcision. So he circumcised his whole household. And he said, I'm going to give you a son from your wife, Sarah, not Hagar. And then Abraham laughed. His first action as a new named person is to laugh at the words of God. He laughed because God said, I will, my covenant will be established with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And you know what Isaac means? Laughter. So Abraham laughs and says, okay, you're laughing. I'm going to give you a son and you're going to name him Laffy. So he believed God. The next chapter, chapter 18, three visitors appear. They appear to both Sarah and to Abraham. And they say the same thing to Sarah. She's going to be with child. And Sarah laughs. And she tries to hide it. And they say, why did you laugh? And she says, well, I didn't laugh. And they said, no, you did laugh. Very sternly. And of course, a year later from that time, Laffy, Isaac, was born. God gave Abram a promise. And what's the promise? He said, I'm going to give you a son. And from that son will be more sons and daughters. From those children will be nations. And then every nation will be blessed through you. Abram, father of many, what a joke. It's almost laughable. Abraham, father of many nations, what a bigger joke. A new name is wrapped up in the gift of the promise that was yet to be fulfilled and so he had to have faith. It wasn't a joke, but there was laughter. Why was there laughter? This may be what they looked like. I don't know. <laughs> Abraham and Sarah, we're going to have children in our old age. Get out of town. I feel like I'm missing a slide here. Let me check something. Yeah, here we go. Why laughter? Well, the promise is too incredible. Meaning, they're asking the question, wouldn't it be amazing? But I just can't see it happening. Why laughter? Well, it's too uncomfortable. They would be talking together. Could you imagine talking about this with your spouse in your old age? Wouldn't it be hard? You know how hard being a parent is? As a 30-year-old man having a son, oh, I was 29, now I'm 35, about to have my fourth child. You know how hard being a parent is? There's some tough stuff. I can't imagine having the energy to do that when I was 100 years old. When I was 100, when I come to be 100 years old. <laughs> to... Why laugh? Well, maybe it's too joyful. Wouldn't it just be the best thing ever? 
to have a child after years and years of being barren? Why laugh? Laughter is the appropriate response because of joy. Because when she had Isaac, she said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Is it too incredible, too uncomfortable, or is it plain just too joyful? It's amazing. Is there anything else that can bring long-lasting happiness than the promises of God? In our culture, happiness is almost the biggest thing that we worship. We will leave people to be happy. We will leave jobs to be happy. We will leave churches to be happy. We will leave investments to be happy. Do you believe that the promises of God can bring you the greatest joy? Perhaps the promises of God are too incredible. I don't know if I can believe that. Perhaps they're too uncomfortable. Uh, I think it's too hard. But perhaps you don't believe that God can give you the greatest happiness in your life. Why laugh? Paul writes in his letter to the Romans that Abraham was Righteous because of his faith. I'm going to go back here. Meaning he believed God at his word and he trusted that God would fulfill his promise. And we are like Abraham. The promise comes by faith. Abraham, he was promised offspring, humanity. We are promised salvation. Both are a gift from God. None of us can be saved by our own merits. It is a gift of God. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen? And faith in God is the means of receiving this gift. Faith in Christ is the means of receiving the gift of salvation. And just as Abraham had faith in God and it was credited to him as righteousness, so when we have faith in Christ, it is credited to us as righteousness because we cannot obey the law on our own and fulfill it, we fail, we fall short of his glory, but Christ, the one who is the Son of Man, the Son of God, came and he lived a perfect life, a holy life, was without sin, and yet died a sinner's death so that you and I could be counted as righteous, holy, blameless, pure. Now when you hear that, isn't that just too incredible? Does having faith in Christ, meaning you have to drop everything and follow Jesus, doesn't that just seem a little bit too uncomfortable? But yet, if it's true, isn't it just the most amazing, wonderful thing in the world? Promise comes by faith. And we are like Abraham. Abraham believed God, so we too believe God. He's the father of the people of faith, which means he's the father of us. He's in, we are included in the nations that have been blessed through Abraham. And though Abraham had an amazing promise, which was to produce a child, we have the greatest promise of all to become a child of God. The problem is children grow up and die. Abraham died, 
his son Isaac died. Jacob and Esau, who were Isaac's sons, died. Jacob's 12 sons died, including the favored one, Joseph. We all have the same problem. It's death. You can't get around it. You face it daily. Especially during the pandemic, you've realized that you are fragile and that if you accidentally catch a virus, you could get sick and die. And as cruel as it is to promise an old barren couple children, that's kind of a cruel thing, right? I don't know anybody who had the boldness to go to an old couple and say, you know what, you've never had kids, but I promise you, you will have kids. Kind of a cruel thing to say. How much more cruel could it be to promise a person new life after death? That's kind of cruel, but it's only cruel if the one giving the promise cannot deliver. Kind of like a pathetic boyfriend saying to his girlfriend, oh, I'm going to love you forever, baby. And yet he can't even commit to her for two weeks. Don't make promises you can't keep. Sketchers made a promise. They said, if you buy these shape-ups, you can lose weight and you can be toned, strengthen your body. And you know what? They had to file a lawsuit of 40 million people to... $40 million to pay back the people who bought these things and didn't lose weight and didn't get toned. And uh, those aren't the best looking shoes, but they are shoes. I guess if I needed shoes, I, I would wear something just to cover my feet. Or the famous television comedy, The Office. Anybody like The Office? Where the main character, Michael Scott, this is one of my favorite episodes, he promised a bunch of third graders that if they graduated from high school, he would pay for their college tuition. And then a decade later, he comes to the classroom and everyone celebrated him. They put on this big uh, announcement and, and uh, this forum and he comes to speak and he has to tell them, I don't have the money to pay for your college tuition, but I will buy you laptop batteries. <laughs> and so there he is. Don't make promises you can't keep. Why? Because it's cruel. When you think of God, do you think of God as cruel or do you think of God as good? God is the one who brings the dead to life. God delivered for Abraham. He came through. Their chance of burying a child was dead. Their bodies, as it says in Romans, were as good as dead. Abraham was, Abraham was 700 years old at Sarah's womb was as good as dead. And God not only will deliver us, but he will deliver for us. And he, get this, he's already, he already has delivered for us by raising Jesus from the dead, the first fruits of the new creation. Unlike Abraham, who had no example of a 90-year-old woman and her 100-year-old husband having children, we do have an example of the dead person being raised back to, to life, and that's Jesus Christ. And if there's anything that can get you through the wilderness of human suffering, it is the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I don't know what you've been going through, but I know that if you haven't gone through a difficult time yet, you will someday. And when you're even facing death... There is the promise 
that a God has come to give everlasting life. There's a God who has come to give you resurrected life. And he can restore your body and make you new and make you whole even after you die. When people get a phone call that they have cancer, I don't know how they receive that news without falling over and crying. And I know people who've received that call and they've gone on to battle cancer and, they've, and they ended up dying. But I know these same people have also rooted their life in the God who promised to give them resurrected life. And so they were sustained in their time all the way up to death. And someday when Christ comes again, they will be raised to life. What an incredible promise. We have a testimony as Christians of being dead and then being made alive. You were dead in your sins, but when you came to Christ, you were made alive. That's our testimony. That's our story. We were lost and without hope. And God found us and he gave us great hope in Christ. Is there anything dead in your life that needs the breath of God? Do you have faith in the one who brings the dead to life? What does it mean to have faith in God? People flippantly say, well, I, I have faith. Faith in what? Well, I have faith that I'm going to be okay. Or I have faith in this person. Or I have faith in God. But what does it mean? I think it begins with knowing God's promises. You have faith in God? Well, do you know what he's promised you? Here's a list. In scripture, this is kind of a condensed list. God promises his help and his guidance. He promises his faithfulness. He promises salvation, wisdom, peace, joy, love, heaven, adoption into his family, strength and power, provision, eternal life, deliverance from enemies, deliverance from temptation, healing, renewal. He promises, Jesus says, there will be trouble. You will have trouble in this world. But! Take heart, I've overcome the world. He promises forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to the Father and to each other. Do you know God's promises? Do you speak them? Do you have faith? Then the, there's a verse that says, faith without works is dead. Well, I have faith. Well, do you just... Say you have faith or do you live like you have faith? Faith as action, meaning do your decisions, do all your decisions, are they based off of the promises of God or are all your decisions based off your own desires? Do you have alive faith or dead faith? If you live the way of trusting in Jesus, that's righteousness. If you live, if you make your decisions all as 
based on the goodness of God or what he promises, that's living in a right relationship with God. I believe God. And so I choose him. I choose to follow him. Then we have faith as formation. What forms a person into who they are? And I would say it is their habits and their hopes and their happiness. Where are your habits and your hopes and your happiness? Are they set in the promise of God? Your habits are what you always do. You probably could name your habits, and if you can't, your spouse could probably name them for you, or a close friend or your children could name them for you. We have good habits, we have bad habits. Habits that we want to be more habitual. Habits that we want to kick, put aside. Habits are what you always do. And if you were to ask yourself this question and sit with it and write it down, ask yourself, what are the habits of a person who believes in the promises of God? Just take time with that question. Your hopes. What do you long for? What are your dreams? What are your desires? And sit with this question. What are the hopes of a person who believes in the promises of God? I guarantee you they look a lot different than someone who doesn't believe in the promises of God. Your habits and your hopes, and then your happiness. Do the things that bring me joy also bring God joy? I'm interchanging joy and happiness. I know they're different things, but in order to have HHH, I had to put happiness. But it's really habits, hopes, and joy. Do I have any delight in the things that are not delightful to God? In other words, do I align myself with God and what brings him joy? Do we share in the same joyful patterns of life? It's faith as formation. And then we have faith as righteousness, which is really the main point of this sermon. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Meaning he did make his decisions in light of God's promises. He risked, he trusted, and along the way there was laughter. Perhaps his habits changed. Perhaps his hopes changed. Perhaps there were new things that brought him joy that he never knew before knowing God. But when Abraham believed God, something deeper changed. He was made righteous by God. He became holy when he believed God. He became set apart for God's purposes. And at that moment, he entered into right relationship with God. And eventually, Abraham became a father. That was the fruit of his faith, the fulfillment of God's promise. But before he became a father, and eventually the father of many nations, Abraham had to become a son. That is the origin of faith. Receiving God and believing his word. That is faith as righteousness.
believing his promises before you experience the promise. That's faith as righteousness. I love John chapter 1. It says, To all who received him, and to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Receiving and believing is faith as righteousness. Do you want the promises of God? Do you want to become a son or daughter of God? Receive him and believe in him. I want to read this verse 20 again. Yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words that was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for me and for you, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over death, over to death for our sins, and raised to life for our justification. And I don't know about you, but when I hear this, I just want to laugh. Why? Because it's too incredible. It's a little bit uncomfortable. And yet, it's too joyful. Wouldn't it just be the best thing ever? Why have faith? Here's why I have faith. I have faith because I am fully persuaded that God has power to do what he has promised. Meaning he doesn't make promises that he can't keep. He's not like Michael Scott. Praise be to God. I'm fully persuaded. Let's, let us echo Sarah's words in Genesis chapter 21, verse 6. When we have faith, God has brought me laughter. And everyone of his promises, sorry, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. When you share the good news of Jesus, you're going to get response that's too incredible. But you're often going to get responses of just pure joy. Let's share in that joy together. Jesus, thank you for your gift of life. Thank you for raising us from the dead. That promise, we hold on to it. But our faith is rooted in you. You are the one who is faithful. You're the one we can count on. You're the one who never fails. And Lord, we so often fail, we so often fall short, we so often don't keep our promises. We need you, you are the righteous one Lord, thank you for making us righteous. We love you. Amen.